you have your Bibles this morning, I would invite you again to turn to the book of Exodus chapter 20. And it's in this chapter, especially that verse 20, our 2020 vision, biblical vision, that we saw last time the purpose of the giving of the law. God gave his law to his children so that they might be able to prove their love to him. Also, the law was given to maintain God's authority in the earth. The law also was given to teach us how to love what is good and to hate that which is evil. But then lastly, and and most beautifully, we saw that the law was given as a map to the altar, or as the way the Apostle Paul said it, it was our schoolmaster that would lead us to Christ. Because all that the law can do in its best is convince and condemn us that God is holy and that we are sinners before Him. But hallelujah, there is one that we can turn to, one that is the hope of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ, who kept the law to a jot and to a tittle and has died and paid the penalty for all of our transgressions against this law and has removed them as far as the east is from the west. That's the good news of the gospel, right? And has given us his righteousness, whereby with we stand, and now there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, and there will never be any separation for us from the love of God and hallelujah for the truth that that speaks into our souls well we want to look directly this morning at the first four that's the title of our message this morning the first four the ten commandments have always been divided into two sections the first four would teach us our duty to God and the last six would teach us our duty to man. But this is more than just a duty. I love it when the Lord Jesus Christ, the lawgiver, was on the earth, and they asked him, Lord Jesus, what is the greatest of the commandments? And he made a synopsis of the whole Ten Commandments and put it into two. And I love that he uh, bracketed it He emphasized that the Ten Commandments are really about what we love and the expression of love in our lives. For he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind. If you keep the first four commandments correctly, that's exactly what you're trying to do. And beloved, you can't do it without the Spirit of God. You must have the Spirit of God within you and the grace of Christ to be able to, in an evangelical way, Love God accordingly and the way that God desires to be loved and worshiped and served. Then he says, the second is likened to it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so again, when we live out and try to live out in an evangelical way, uh, the last six commandments, it is uh, an expression of the love that God has given to us that we are expressing to our fellow man. And so to me, that's, that's very uh, poignant, very pertinent that we understand that this isn't just a list of do's and don'ts. 
for us. This isn't just a ladder on rungs that we try to, uh, to climb to make ourselves right with God. No, this, this God has given to us, uh, teaches us that God would be worshipped according to his nature not according to our imagination. I'd like you to write that down if you're taking notes. This is part of what the law teaches us, that God, the true God, would be worshipped according to His nature, not according to our imagination. This that we have before us today is God's unchanging moral standard for regulating the conduct of all men, both believer and and unbeliever. This is an unchanging moral standard that should regulate the conduct of all men. And so today specifically, we want to look at those first four. And we'll begin in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 3, and read through verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. There it is. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Mm, hallelujah. The first four commandments, our great duty to love God. So, number one, the very first commandment, that's what we want to focus on first this morning. What does that commandment mean to you? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I really want you to think about that. What does that, what are those words on that page, what do they mean to you in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, and in your life? You see, because some people think that if they had just acknowledged that the God of the Bible is the true God and that there's no other gods besides that God and just with a, with a mental assent to that truth, they believe that the God that's speaking here, Jehovah God, is the only true God that they have kept that commandment. But that is not correct. It is more than just a, a mental assent to the truth 
that is printed right here that there's only one God. You see, he says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so the first commandment teaches us to love and worship God alone. Yes, it teaches us not just that there is a true God, not that he is just one and, and in his person, I mean one in his essence and three in his person. It's, it's not just about the character of God himself, but it is about our relationship to that God. And that's why Jesus said, he didn't say when they asked Jesus, what is the first and great commandment? Jesus didn't say, well, there's just one God. That's not what he said. He said, you've got to love that one God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. And that's why when it comes, uh, you see, the exclusivity that is here with God is the same uh, when we get to the New Testament and the exclusivity that is with Christ. There's only one name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. You cannot love God the Father without loving God the Son. He that hath the Son hath the Father. He that hath the Son hath life. You can't even obey the first commandment unless you love, follow, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot. And you've got to love Him in this way. With all. Oh, what a great word there, right? With all. With all. Jesus said you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And beloved, this first commandment is so powerful because if we could actually incorporate this commandment into our minds, into our lives, into our actions, there would be need for no other commandment. But we know, as has been said, the struggle is real. Amen. Because the mind and the heart of man, has been said by one, is an idle factory. It's just an idle factory. It's just like that we, by nature, would rather have anything else to be God or to serve or follow anything else but the true and the living God. But here, first things are first. The first teaches us to love and worship God, the God of the Bible, the God that is one in three and three in one, to love Him and worship Him alone. God will tolerate. He says, I will tolerate no competitor. I will tolerate no rival. Beloved, whatever that you would put before God, if it was yourself, you put yourself in peril. If it was a spouse, you put that spouse in peril. If it was your children, you put your children in peril. If it was the church, you put the church in peril. If it's a job or occupation or health or a dream or whatever it might be, God will brook no rival for he is a jealous God. And he loves us with an everlasting love. And he says because of the type of God that he is, he deserves to be first. First in our hearts, first in our lives, uh, the, our, our, last, our first great thought and our last great, great end, He is to be our all in all. The first here teaches us to love and worship God alone. I'm going to challenge you here in, in your uh, being able to find some Old Testament books. We're going to go to Hosea, the book of Hosea. Incredible story here in the Old Testament and Amazing 
uh, picture here of God's relationship with his children through Hosea and Gomer and the redemption that is there. But here in the, in the toward the latter part in Hosea 13, we have this same truth reiterated for us. And we find it in Hosea 13 and verse 4. We read again, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me. That, that word know there speaks to an intimate knowledge. This is something that someone that you, not something, someone that you have a relationship with, an intimacy with. You, you don't know anybody else or anything else in this way but me, your true and your living God, your Redeemer. And the way that we know Him is through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, But me, for there is no Savior beside me. So do you see the connection that I'm making between Old and New Testament? That the exclusivity with God in the first commandment. That there you're to have no other gods before me. So it is with the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and salvation. Because we live in a day when people say that there are many roads to heaven. That there are many ways to be saved. But the Bible cries against that. And Jesus himself cried against that. For he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way. And no man can come to the Father except by me. And no man can come to me except the Father, which has sent me, will draw him. All but he that cometh to me, beloved, don't forget this promise, I will in no wise cast out. This is a call to us to be drawn to God. To say, God, you alone deserve my worship. You alone deserve the best of my life and of my love and of my talents and of my time. You gave your best for me. May I also give my best to you, O God. And keep your commandment. You see, for this is the God test. I'm going to give you a God test. The test of your God, of who your God truly is today. I will test your soul and mind today. This is the God test. Oh, who are you? Who do you love? What do you love? And what do you trust? Those two questions are the, are the God test. Not what you say that you love, but what you really love. Not what you say that you trust, but what you really trust when the rubber meets the road. What do you really love? What do you really trust? And I hope your answer this morning is, Brother Nathan, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that I love. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how I love him because he first loved me. And I, and I love him above all others. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's more to me than my parents. He's more to me than the church. He's more to me than any doctrine. He's more to me than the Bible. He's more to me than my health. He's more to me than my life. He's God. He's God. And it's in Him that I trust. That's the test of who God, your God really is. And that's what God's saying here. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We must make God supreme in our hearts and in our lives. Let's listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. This is more, beloved, than just monotheism. 
it goes so much deeper than that. 1 Corinthians, if you'll go with me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Oh, what do you love? Who do you love? And who do you trust? Well, Israel's going to be tested with this, aren't they? And you and I are going to be tested as well. I was thinking about that song that we sang. I was glad it was called out, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. I remember what uh, Brother Andrew Huffman said one time. I think it was in our pulpit when he was here for our meeting. He said that we ought to have a coronation of Jesus Christ in our hearts every day. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Here, in speaking of our Lord and of our true and living God, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, in, in writing and taking up an issue that they were struggling with in that time because the people of Corinth lived in the midst of a pagan society, of a polytheistic, uh, true God denying. You remember that they were so superstitious even, they built an altar to who? The unknown God, just in case that they had missed one. But here the Apostle Paul paints a clear picture, doesn't he? Beginning in verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, as concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, little g, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods, little g, many, and lords, many, little l's, but to us. There is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. That, that settles the issue for me. What does that destroy? That destroys atheism, doesn't it? The belief that there's no God. We know why man wants to believe that. We know why ev the evil nature of man embraces that. Because if there's no God, then there's no law. If there's no law, then there's no fear. And man can be the measure of all things in a God unto himself. And that's what the devil wanted as well. If you want to know where that. But beloved, even the devils believe and tremble. Amen. Even devils believe and tremble. But this also destroys polytheism. Isn't it amazing that... A lot of the rest of the world, until the time of Muhammad, who saw the benefits of monotheism and united, was able to unite the Arab tribes who were very polytheistic. But he, by force and by conquering, uh, destroyed all their many gods and, and set up a one god. Until that time... Uh, monotheism only existed, the belief in one God only existed among the people of the children of Abraham, the people that followed Moses out of Egypt. All the rest of the world was steeped in what we call polytheism, the belief in many gods. But we know that if you have two gods, you have no God. Amen? Amen. For there is but one God, and it it is paramount uh, to have a true God that He be one God. For to be God means to be solitary and alone in your godness. <laughs> if that's a word. I don't know if godness is a word. I think I just made up a new word. In your godness. Yes. This destroys those things. And so as we come to the uh, close of talking about 
the first commandment. What we see here and what is being expressed to us as the children of God and that as, as believers is that our faith and trust, our hope and, lo- and love, it must be in God. And this is a non-negotiable commandment to us. But hallelujah, Drew. What a God to have faith and trust in. Amen. What a God to have hope and love in. What a God that we have to love and to worship and to serve. So I say hallelujah to the first commandment. I say amen to the Holy Spirit who inspired this. Beloved for us, let there be no other gods before the God of the Bible. That God that exists in essence as one, but in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These three are one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. All right, moving on to the second. So as the first one teaches us to love uh, and, and worship God alone, the second teaches us, let's read it again, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or there's an earth beneath that is in the water under the earth, but you cannot disconnect four from five because you don't get the proper understanding of four unless you read five as well because God is not saying that we can't make something that looks like a cherubim. God's not saying that because we know that God gave them instructions when they were building uh, the Ark of the Covenant to form and fashion a cherubim Uh, to put with its wings touching uh, over the mercy seat, right? But the connection there to verse 5, what's important, it says, these things cannot be used to worship me. These things cannot be used as images uh, to express who I am as God. For God is a spirit and has not a body like men. And so we must connect them. He says, you won't make these things. And here's the connection. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. Here it is, God is saying that the second teaches us to love and worship the true God, the true way. Now we live in a day where people say, I can believe God is any way that I want Him to be. False. But then they back that up also with saying, and I can worship God any way that I want to. False. False. Wrong on both accounts. Wrong, wrong, wrong. There is a true and a living God, and in Him abides truth alone. And all truth comes from Him. And this true God has said, there's a, there's a way in which that I'm to be served, and it is not by making graven images or things from your imagination that you think that I might be like. No, remember what we said at the beginning. God, the true God, would be worshipped according to His nature, not according to our imagination. And that's what this is all about. And he says, you're not going to make these things and bow down yourself to them and serve these things and call them me. For God is above and beyond anything that any of us could ever imagine or create with our hands. Amen. Amen. We shall not have any graven images. He has told us plainly how to worship him. Oh, don't you love the conversation with the woman at the well? We just got to go there. Where's it at? John 4? Am I right on that? Yes, Jesus had said, 
I must needs go to Samaria. Oh, there's so much beautiful truth in this meeting with this woman. Uh, that, that chapter is so power-packed. You know, but she tries to bring this moral relativism in, you know, this religious confusion into the equation with Jesus as she begins to realize who he really is. And she says, well, some people say, you know, that we're supposed to worship God in Samaria. And some people say that we're supposed to worship God in Jerusalem like that that's what worshiping God was about, was about a place or a thing or an item, right? Oh, how quickly we can make idols, idols out of ourselves, idols out of ideologies, idols out of even our own relationships or children. People can make an idol out of preaching or out of Almost anything. Like I said, we're idol factories. But here in John 4, oh, he that is the way, the truth, and the life. He spoke it, right? Beginning in verse 21, and just in case you have forgotten, Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what we know, what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth and love this and hang on to this part. Oh, what, how wonderful for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is still seeking for that today. Those who want to worship Him the way that He wants to be worshipped and to glorify God as God. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Jesus is echoing the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, nor likeness unto it. He said, you're not going to bow down yourself to them, nor serve them. We must be drawn away, beloved. Pray this. Lord, draw me away from every carnal conception that I have of you. Draw me away from that. How long, Brother Andy, did it take Israel to disobey? <laughs> the second commandment, 40 days, right? 40 days, Moses went up into the mount, and they said, let's make a golden calf and call it God and worship him. And Aaron, who knew better, went along with him. And then he tried to blame the people, and Moses came down and said, what is this? What is this noise of sin in the camp? And not only had they done that, but they began to degrade themselves as they had seen the Egyptians do all their lives and follow right back into that sin of idolatry, right? But we can't, we can't judge them for we can all look into our lives and find how many times in very real ways we ourselves have bowed down to idols. Beloved, every idol that is in the world is usually uh, a result of, of demonic power inserting itself into the world. I want to especially challenge the men because, you know, men, we struggle with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. It's, it's a natural weakness of almost every man. And 
the proliferation of lustful things in our world is so easy to access. It's so easy to get caught up in. But I want to tell you, men, and, and for women too, women aren't immune to this. And it's sad to say even more women are being uh, overcome uh, by this. But all that is demonically influenced. When, when we give ourselves into those things, we are giving into a graven image. We are bowing down to idols and to demons. When we get, and it's dangerous. And, it, and it dis, it's dishonoring to our Lord. Oh, may God give us strength to, like, like the great Apostle John said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Oh, I say to, to my shame, how many times did I have found myself in, that, in a despicable, despicable position of having some kind of idol in my life? I used to make an idol out of basketball and out of, out of sports, and I couldn't even see it that, 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 that I was doing that. So easy it is to. People get caught up with money. Uh, people get caught up with uh, politics. Um, let us love and worship the true God, the true way. He said, you must worship me in spirit and in truth. It took Israel less than 40 days uh, to forget this commandment altogether. But I want to be clear that all pictures, all paintings, sculptures, uh, these aren't, aren't being forbidden by God. God actually, as we'll read through the book of Exodus, He commanded many things. Remember even the brazen serpent. He's the one that commanded that to be uh, uh, molded and made and held up for the people to look to to be saved from the fiery serpents in the wilderness. But He never meant for it to be worshipped. It was never to be used in, in the worship and to say, well, this is God or, or this is what actually saved us. No, it was just a means that God used for them to look to. But the power was of God. And the glory goes to God. The same was with the ark. I believe that's probably why we don't have the ark of the covenant with us anymore. Because remember in their history, how, that's how exactly how they began to do with the ark of covenant. Because when they had the ark of covenant, they had never lost in battle. Remember, it always went before them in battle. And they began to trust in that ark. And when they wanted to fight the Philistines, and they said, let's fetch the ark of God. Y'all remember that? And they brought it down, and oh, man, the camp got in a big uproar, and the Philistines were afraid. They heard the ark of God. Came in camp, and they said, let's quit ourselves like men and fight anyway because we don't want to be the servants of the Israelites. But God wasn't with them. That, that ark was nothing without God. And they lost the battle, they lost their freedom, and they lost the ark for a while. But God used that time to send the ark, y'all remember? Just a quick side note. Listen, I'm going on a rabbit trail, but we're going to get the rabbit. Uh, uh, they put that ark in front of the god, Dagon, remember? And uh, they came in the morning, he fell over. They propped him back up. They came the next day. His head had rolled off his hands and feet. They said, man, let's, let's send that ark. And they everywhere the ark went, it, it smote the, the enemies of God with disease till finally they just put it on a cart and sent it back to Israel. You can't serve God just any way that you want. 
Well, God said, I must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. I really enjoyed when I was in Alabama for Granddaddy's funeral. Brother Ben Corley, he showed me um, a PowerPoint of his trip to Ethiopia. And on the last that day that they were there, as they were going through the capital city, they were having this celebration of the Ark of the Covenant because they believe and teach that they have the true Ark of the Covenant. Whether they do or not, I don't know. It's not even really that important to me uh, whether they do. Would I like to see it? Yes, I would. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be a liar. I tell you, I wouldn't like to see it. Just like I, I would love to see a lot of the things that I've read about in Scripture. But why I'm telling you this is because Ben showed us the video. Mom and Dad, y'all were there. Y'all see it. These people, they had three different things. It was like a shell game. Uh, they said one of these things that we have that were marching through the capital city was the true ark, and the other true were were the other two were copies because they didn't want somebody to steal it, and the and the and the one that you know that they knew was the one that they says the true one, uh, you know they had real uh, security on it, but these people were worshiping that. They were worshiping that. They were worshiping this thing that had been made with men's hands and that's exactly uh, what I'm talking about here with the second commandment that is not the right way to worship God and that's what the second commandment is about the first commandment is about worshiping and loving God alone the second commandment is about worshiping the true God the true way now the third one thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. The third commandment teaches us to respect and love God's authority because God's authority is in his name. It's in his name. The name of God is to be held sacred. When the disciples recognized that Jesus prayed a lot different than they did, they said, Jesus' prayers don't sound like my prayers. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus bowed and said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, was the first thing that he said. Hallowed be thy what? Thy name. Thy name. This forbids any vain use of the names of God. Now we've become too flippant in our day, even among Christian people, with the name of God. We need to stop that. We need to remove that from our vocabulary because God says that He takes this personally. And He says, I will deal with this and, and, and uh, inflict chastisement or punishment myself. I will not hold Him guiltless who takes my name in vain. This is powerful, isn't it? Micah 4, 5, go with me there. I told you I was going to challenge you with your Old Testament books this morning. Morning, It's right after Jonah, if you can find Jonah in the Minor Prophets. The book of Micah. I think it's right in between and right before Nahum. Just to try to help you out a little bit. <laughs> Micah, the book of Micah chapter 4. Verse 5, 
For all people will walk everyone in the name of his God. And we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. You see, beloved, irreverence is rebellion. And God has distinguished his name above all others. And we see this connection also to the name of the Lord Jesus, right? For God hath highly exalted him and given him what? A name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of God, God's authority is to be held sacred by the people of God. In the Psalms we read, Holy and reverend is thy name. So, every time that we hear about something uh, incredible that has happened, should we really say, OMG? Should, should we do that? Is that reverent with the name of God? Or gosh, or golly, or oh my God, or geez, or uh, especially, oh, I I quiver inside when I hear somebody use the name Jesus Christ uh, as profanity. Uh, to never blaspheme the name of God. To be careful with the name of God in our oaths that we take, the scripture says. Oh, beloved. And just taking his name also to, to claim and to believe that one is a child of God is also to take that name. And then to walk away from that, to turn your back on that, you would have been taking his name in vain as well. Oh, may the Lord bless us to hold, to hallow his name, to never use it in a flippant way, uh, in a way that, that doesn't have respect or to deny in any way God's claims or authority over our lives. Man, never be so. I remember reading about when the scribes of old, the Hebrew scribes would be writing, copying the word of God, that they would be writing along with their quill or whatever they had to write with. And when they would come to the name of God, it was so holy uh, to them, they would break the quill that they were using and pick up a new one just to write the name of God, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. In the book of Isaiah, that one's a little bit easier to find. <laughs> That's a big one. 66 chapters there the, in the major prophets. Isaiah 48, verse 11. I love this, what Isaiah is inspired to write here about this subject. For my own sake, even for my own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? I will not give my glory unto another. I ask you today, is God jealous of his glory? Does he have every right to be? Because if God glorified anything else but himself, he would be an idolater. God must glorify himself. And his name, he puts on the same 
place as his glory. Mm, that's powerful, isn't it? Oh, how we must be careful how we handle this wonderful name. Thou shalt not take my name in vain. I will not hold him guiltless. Do you believe that God's just threatening there? Do you think God's just uh, saying, you know, that's just going to be a little hand slap thing with God uh, about his name? No. Beloved, God was serious about these things. God is, this is, this is God's moral regulation for the conduct of all men. God says, I will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. What do you think that that means? For every time that, that we've done that, that punishment for that was either inflicted on the Lord Jesus Christ or if God so choose to, to have consequences in our lives as chastisements for that, God says, I'm, I'm not letting that go. I will not hold him guiltless. It's very powerful. And then fourthly, the last one. So, again, just review. The first one, uh, to love and worship God alone. To serve and worship the true God the right way. The second one. The third teaches us to respect and love God's authority, His name. So the fourth teaches us how to honor and observe God's day. There is a right time to worship God. Now, for years and years, the Jews, according to their calendars, chose Saturday as their Sabbath. I don't think that there was anything wrong with that. I think that was just and good and right. But God, in God's Word, there's never any command in God's Word that the Sabbath be on Saturday. Ever. There's no command for that. There were other Sabbaths that they observed as well that weren't on Saturday. But their regular Sabbath which they worshiped and observed the Sabbath, was traditionally on Saturday. But the command is, is that in likeness of God's actions at the creation, that God in six days worked and created the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, for the people of God who love God, who want to serve and worship the true God, God says, when you worship me corporately together, he says, I want you it to be at a time that's set after six days of work. And then on that seventh day, I want you to set it aside for your rest and for my worship. And God was wise, <laughs> so wise to do that for us. And I praise him for it. There is a right time. God saw that one day a week was needed for man's physical, for man's mental and for man's spiritual good. And he put it into his law. He put it in his, his commands for us. And so this was to be strictly observed by uh, the people that God gave this to at, at Mount Sinai. And uh, God gave uh, the Jewish people certain commands about this. I'll never forget when I was reading uh, about this just on my own studies and a man picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. He was just picking up sticks 
And they saw him. People saw him picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, and it was forbidden. And God commanded Moses that that man be stoned. That's pretty serious. God meant us. And so it is for us. Uh, we, cannot, we cannot be flippant with, with God's name. We cannot be flippant with God's day. Now, it's true we are not under the strict regulations uh, that they were as Jews, as Christians, for we have been given a new rest and we have been given a new Sabbath uh, from the Lord. But it is still a day in which we are to rest, which we are to worship the Lord, that we're to treat differently than any other day. It is, as the New Testament said, the Lord's day. Hallelujah. Uh, so Isaiah 58, just to, to look at one place, and I'm, I'm about to close. And I'm so glad that, that I'm not going over new material. I'm glad that most of you have known and been taught about these things uh, all, all your life. And you've been trying through God's grace to, to keep these things and to walk in these things because you do love God and you do want to honor God. And I'm so glad that you're here today on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week, on a time that we have worked for six days, and now this is the seventh day, and we are having a Sabbath, a day of rest and worship unto the Lord. And it's the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead as God the Father finished the work of creation through His Son. Also, God the Father finished the work of redemption through His Son, and we have rest. We have rest. On his day, the Lord's day, John the Apostle said, I was in the Spirit on what? On the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The disciple, when Jesus came, first came and met them, after that he had risen from the dead and he met with them corporately all together. It was on the first day of the week, Sunday, the day that Christians have set aside as our Sabbath to the Lord, mainly for worship and doing good and, and for rest. Never forget that it was on the first day of the week that Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came down with fiery tongues and the gospel began to be uh, propagated throughout many nations. It was on the first day of the week that Pentecost came. A Sabbath that was being observed by the first century Christians. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. And I believe that that don't mean that, uh, there's not, that you can't do some things that you enjoy on the Sabbath. That's not what I was talking about. What mainly the, the and, and there's works of necessity and mercy that, that must be maintained in the world. We understand all those things. But what he's saying is you shouldn't use the Sabbath as a day to as a day of profit, a day to try to make money for yourself as as you would do the other days. This must be a day dedicated to the Lord. But he says, and call the Sabbath, this is what we want to do. It's a delight. Don't you look forward to Sunday? It's my favorite day of the week. I can't wait for Sunday to come. The day when I can be away from the world. A day when I can be with the people of God. A day when I can sing with other people the songs of Zion. 
and send up prayers of intercession to God. A day when I can rest from my labors and recharge my soul and be with my family and the ones I love or, or go and do good for others. Oh, what a wonderful day God has given us. It should be holy to us. It should be special. He says, If thou shalt make it a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and thou shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And look at the blessing that comes with honoring God in his day. Listen to this. I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Oh, I've seen that as true in my life. For those who honor God's day, God honors them. There is a blessing upon their life that they can't get anywhere else in the world. Now, I'm going to talk about something that we've all experienced. The disappointment of Chick-fil-A not being open on Sunday. <laughs> But then, hasn't every one of you, when you realize that they haven't been open, haven't you been glad and said, oh, but thank you, Lord, that they're doing that. Out of respect to you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those that are older in here, you can remember it used to be different in our country. And I would submit that it was a better time and a better day. And people had a lot more respect for God's day. They wanted to honor and observe God's day. Well, may we as well. May the Lord bless us in these first four to seek to honor Him and to call these things as Isaiah did. We say, Lord, they're a delight. May the Lord bless you and keep you as Isaiah.